Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Uh, table on the way in. If you would like to receive our email updates, we try to do that about every 10 days to two weeks. Uh, if you would like to be uh, included in that and, and uh, keep up to speed and pray, pray for us, then before you leave today, be sure to give us your email address and we'll get you uh, on that list. Um, this morning I want to uh, work with you, work together to drill down to a foundational reason why followers of Jesus pursue missions like a foundational reason to take away why we do this because you know it includes a ton of sacrifice it includes a ton of sacrifice for those who stay here and hold down the ropes with prayer and financial support Uh, they're sacrificing sons and daughters who who leave at an early age and have their grandchildren overseas there's just lots of gut-wrenching um, sacrifice that we make to take the gospel to all the nations of the world. And so I wanted to drill down this morning to a foundational reason why we do that. And if we do that successfully, then I think at the same time that it'll be very relevant for our lives even here uh, and, and even create an earthquake or a lightning storm in our spiritual understanding of how we wake up in the morning and view our faith or how we go to bed at night and view our faith, how we approach prayer, how we look at our unsaved friends, and of course, how we view um, the unreached uh, nations of the world. And so that foundational um, thought that I want to share with you this morning is this. Jesus Christ has become the meeting place of God with man. The Lord Jesus Christ has become the meeting place of God with man. It is no longer the Garden of Eden. It is no longer the tabernacle or tent of meeting. It is no longer Solomon's temple. It has never been a church. It has never been a mass. It has never been the Kaab in Mecca. It has never been a Hindu temple. It has never been a Buddhist temple. It has never been a walk in nature. Jesus Christ is the, has become the meeting place of God with man. And so... This is specific, it is singular, it is exclusive, it is universal, it is personal, it is in the light, it is not hidden and hard to find. No one else, no one has forgiveness of sins outside of this truth. No one has reconciliation with God outside of this truth. No one sees their their, their answers, uh, their prayers answered outside of this truth. And no one stops the indulgences of the flesh outside of this truth that Jesus Christ has become the meeting place of God with man. And so I want to uh, consider that this morning in three parts. Um, Number one, this is a Jewish story. And so we're going to go to the Jewish scriptures and use Jewish terms to look at this story and how it developed. Secondly, then, we'll go to the New Testament and look at more uniquely New Testament ways of expressing the same thing. And then finally, we'll look at uh, application for our own lives and application for missions. Uh, And so let's start with this Jewish story. 
Jesus Christ has become the meeting place of God with man. That story started in the Garden of Eden. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 8. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 8 and following, we, we learn that the Garden of Eden was the meeting place of God with man. Notice with me in, in, cha- in verse 8 how God placed man into this garden that he had planted. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. That same truth, that historical truth, is repeated now in verse 15. Look there. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And of course, we get asked the question, why? Why did God do that? Because man would and could go anywhere in God's creation. But God particularly placed him in the garden. I'm beginning to get an answer for why God did that in uh, verse 8 of chapter 3. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And so we learn that in the Garden of Eden was God's presence. And it's there that He walked and dwelt among His holy people and had relationship with But of course, you know that sin uh, came into the world. And then notice how God removed Adam and Eve now from his presence in the garden. Look with me in verses, uh, same chapter, chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword. And just to put a, a kind of a, a period on, on the an end of the sentence here, we remind ourselves that God's presence remained in the Garden of Eden for some time after that. We, we can uh, discover that. Go with me to chapter 4, verse 16. And now Cain has, has murdered his brother, and God is bringing judgment onto Cain, and he's um, driving him even further away from the Garden of Eden. And in verse 16, this is what we read. Then Cain went away from... The presence of the Lord, which means the Lord's presence remained in the Garden of Eden. And he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. But the Garden of Eden was the meeting place of God with man. And years later, in the time of Moses, God instructed his holy people to construct a tent of meeting so that he could dwell amongst them. Let's remind ourselves of that truth. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 5, we're going to read the first uh, two verses. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And what will, what will they do with those contributions? We go to slide down to verse 8. And let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God wanted to dwell among his holy people. And he had Moses uh, make a tent, a tent of meeting for them. Turn with me uh, to uh, uh, verse chapter 29. And let's begin reading at verse 43. Just to get a little bit more about this tent of meeting that God had constructed. 
There, uh, verse 43, there I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And by, the, by, the, uh, verse, uh, by chapter 39, uh, the sons of Israel have, com- have, completed this, uh, have completed this tent. Let's read that. Verse 39, uh, chapter 39, verse 32. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. And the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. And finally, chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And even all the way to the time of David, God's people were still um, just amazed by the fact that God had chosen to dwell among them in this tent of meeting. Turn with me to Psalm 26, and we're going to look at uh, verse 8. Psalm 26. If you look at the title, we read that this is of David, which means this is before the the temple has been constructed, which means uh, uh, this is the tabernacle he's speaking of, the tent of meeting. And he says in verse 8, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house. I just love your habitation, the place where you dwell. The place where your, where your glory dwells. I love that place. And so the tabernacle was the place of meeting between God and man. But eventually, in Solomon's day, God dwelt among his holy people where? In the temple. Let's read about that and, and what happened uh, when that construction was completed. Turn back with me to 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 51. 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 51. Thus all the work that King Solomon did on the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things that David his father had dedicated, the silver, the gold, and the vessels, and stored them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Now slide down with me to verse uh, 6 of chapter 8. Then the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. Now down to verse 10. Verse 10. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. First, this cloud filled, of God's glory filled the tabernacle. And now that same glory fills the temple. 
Turn with me one more time to Psalms to see God's children amazed by the fact that He has met them in His grace and in His mercy at this temple. Turn with me to Psalm uh, 84. You may not have um, known that this was Psalm 84, but you certainly know the contents of this psalm. So it's a rather famous psalm. Psalm 84, I'll start with the first two verses. Psalm 84, 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul, lo- my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. And now verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And so the temple became the meeting place of God with man. But as you know, that's not how this Jewish story ends, is it? Because eventually, Jesus Christ Himself became the meeting place of God with man. You know, uh, as we turn to the New Testament, I'll start with this. Uh, we all know and are reminded of the fact that Jesus had a special, special relationship with the temple. Do you remember in, in Luke chapter 2, uh, when Jesus was 12 years old, and uh, He didn't return with His, with his um, earthly family back to Nazareth? And uh, three, three days later, they returned, and three days later, they found him in the temple, uh, sitting among the teachers and listening to them and asking them questions. And, and they were um, a little bit offended that, that he had, uh, had, had been lost. And he, he answered, I'm in the most natural place that you could think of. I'm in my father's house. And here's how he says that. The Lord says this, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? the most natural place for me to have been. And so I just want to point out, before we go on to the next sentence, that Jesus had a special relationship with the temple. And that's why it's shocking when we move out now to Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2, that Jesus announced that the temple would be destroyed. Turn with me to that passage, Matthew 24. And as you're going there, I'm sure you would agree with me that up till now in all that we've read, this would be, seem to be the most, not, the most un-Jewish thing that, that Jesus, Jesus could have said. How anti-Solomon, how anti-Zerubbabel that he would say that the temple would be destroyed. And yet, in fact, that's what he says. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to, came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, which had been completed now after a 46-year com- construction project. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And you would have been shocked. How could this be? And as we turn backwards just a little bit to Matthew 17, we begin to get an answer to this startling announcement by Christ. I'm in Matthew chapter 17, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and led them up a high mountain by themselves. 
and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And now we've arrived at verse 5 and what I want to point out this morning. Notice what happens next. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. The cloud and the glory that filled the tabernacle, the cloud and the glory of God that filled the temple now has overshadowed them, has settled on Jesus. And, from, uh, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. And God the Father says, My presence now dwells here. If you want to meet with me, here's where you come. Jesus Christ has become the meeting place of God with man. And of course, you would remember that in Matthew 12, Jesus said, Something greater than the temple is here referring to himself. And you would remember that in John chapter 2, Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up again. I am now the temple. And you know, Jesus will be the temple, the meeting place of God with man for all of eternity. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 22, chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, verse 22. And so here we are. We started in Genesis and we made our way to Revelation. And in this, in this Revelation, of course, John sees the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Uh, the holy city, Jerusalem, now is settled on earth. And, and he, make, he makes this observation in verse 22. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The Lord God Almighty Himself and His Lamb is the temple for all of eternity. And Jesus Christ has become the meeting place of God with man. Now I want to back up just slightly from the book of Revelation because you would know that this, the, the climax of grace in this truth that we're speaking of this morning, the climax, the apex of God's mercy and grace is the cross. And so let's just back up historically from here, what we have here just one more time and use a very Jewish verse to celebrate the climax of this grace uh, in, in Jesus. Turn with me to Revelation, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, verses uh, 19 and 20. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20. And we're just going to pull one thought out of these verses, so I'm going to skip where it says since. And I'm going to start with the next word, where God says, We have confidence to enter the holy places. How? By the blood of Jesus. Holy places, Jewish thought, Jewish terms. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. You know, we know from John chapter 1 that Jesus came and tabernacled among us, right? He dwelt. He tented among us. And the same fabric of that tent was torn on the cross. 
And God's word tells us that what that accomplished as that tent was torn on the cross was the same thing that could have been accomplished if you could have imagined that in the days of the tabernacle or in the days of the, of the temple that that inner curtain might have been torn. And if that inner curtain could have been torn, what would have happened? You would have had, had immediate access to God. And this verse says that's exactly what happened when the tent of his body was torn like a curtain. Immediate access to God. He is now the meeting place of God with man. An amazing truth. So let's add to that, just very quickly, some very familiar um, New Testament um, words that that, that kind of embellish this truth even more so. You know, I think of three of the seven great I am's of Jesus uh, in the New Testament. What, the first one that, of course, we're all very, very familiar with. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I now am the portal for sinful man. A verse that's a little bit less familiar. Uh, verse uh, chapter 10 of John. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door for the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then Jesus said, I am the true vine. Abide in me. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so, and so in, Psalm four, in Psalm 84, uh, the psalmist said, For one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And now we say, Jesus, one day of abiding in you is better than a thousand elsewhere. And when I think of adding to this New Testament um, celebration that Jesus has become our meeting place, I think of this New Testament great doctrine of spirit baptism and union with Christ. This, um, and I brought a, uh, an envelope this morning just to illustrate that. You know, the, the, word, the Word of God tells us that when we come to faith in Christ, that we are baptized by the Spirit into Christ. And so I have an envelope here just to illustrate that. We are, as sinners, taken and we are plunged into Christ. We are in Him. We have union with Him. And so we read verses like uh, Romans 8.1 that say, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He is our temple that we need to belong in. If anyone is in Christ, a famous verse, right? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. How about this verse from 1 Corinthians? Because of Him, because of God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus. He he brought about a miracle not seen with the eyes in which you were placed in Christ who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In other words, everything that was of Christ becomes imputed to us. His righteousness, his his sanctification, his redemption because we are in Him. And finally, uh, turn with me to this verse, and it'll be the, this will be the last uh, verse for this morning. C- uh, Colossians chapter two, verse, uh, verses nine, nine and ten. Colossians chapter two, verses nine and ten. For in Him, that is in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. This amazing bold, unapologetic verse. 
For in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And here's, now we have a comma, and here comes our application for just a few minutes at the, last, at the end of our time here this morning. And you have been filled in Him. If you are in Him, if you are in the meeting place of God with man, if you are in the temple that is Jesus, you are filled. And there's no more full than you can imagine ever being. You are filled with Christ. And so I want to bring these uh, applications, and I think about my friends uh, in Turkey. You know, it is not as if God is feeding us breadcrumbs, brothers and sisters, that we would need to go other places to fill our bellies with excitement. We have the fullness of Christ. We are not eating breadcrumbs from day to day. And when I think about illustrating that, I think about my friends Kerem, who's my, my, um, my teammate, and another guy by the name of Shevket. You know, when, before Shevket and Kerem came to faith, if they would have showed you their cell phone, they would have showed you pictures uh, of two words that start with the letter V. They would have showed you their vacations and their vehicles, particularly their Harley Davidsons. My, my teammate actually had a Harley Davidson motorcycle. He's the president of a motorcycle club in the capital of Turkey. There's like 50 young guys that he's leading, and he, and he loves to do that. But he would, there would have been a day that that's all he would have shown you. But you know what? Now, if he were to show you his cell phone and show you the pictures that are close to his heart, you know what he'd show you? He'd show you words that start with the letter C-H. He'd show you Chorum and Chubuk. And those are cities in Turkey, near Ankara, where the gospel is beginning to go for the first time ever. Chubuk is a city of about maybe 50,000. And just last month, the very first two people came to faith. And now he's traveling there, making sacrifices to see that the gospel gets planted there and disciples these guys. And then there's a city three hours away called Chorum. We are the closest believers. Can you imagine? Three hours away, and we're the closest thing they have. And he goes there, and, and he's trying to reach out, and he's trying to be creative, and he's trying to do Bible studies with these, with these believers who, unfortunately, won't meet together unless he goes there to be kind of the glue to bring them together. And it's because his belly is filled with Christ. His imagination is so, so uh, taken up with Christ that he understands that he's not eating breadcrumbs from God. And he's happy. And don't get me wrong, he still loves to put on the Harley vest. He still loves to ride. <laughs> but he knows what it means to put that aside and to serve his Savior because he knows he has in his hand an amazing truth that can change lives. Secondly, I think of the fact that, you know, we are not so lightly honored by God that we should feel a deficiency of esteem and go other, other places to find praise. We have an overabundance of praise from God because we are in Christ. For example, he calls us our father. I'm sorry, he calls us his children. He's our father. And when I think of that truth, I think of um, Hakan and Bilgeh. The fact that they're no longer chasing the praise of men. The fact that they're no longer chasing boyfriends and girlfriends. The fact that they're no longer chasing popularity. You know, particularly Hakan. Hakan went to uh, America on a uh, uh, tourist visa, and he worked at one of these kind of these Six Flags, you know, these amusement parks. And when his work visa ran out, he became an illegal immigrant or illegal alien. You know, and so he worked third shift at a gas station, you know, kind of staying low, 
because he wanted to stay in America. Well, eventually, this guy, Hakan, made it out to, he got a green card eventually, made it out to Hollywood, get this story, and started making money as a model in Hollywood. They're taking pictures of him, and he's making money, right? And he also happened to work at a, um, at a fitness place, and, and, and uh, one of his customers was a pastor. And this pastor befriended him, and Hakan heard the gospel, and Hakan came to faith in Christ. And eventually he got his American citizenship, and once he did that, he told his parents, Mom and Dad, I'm coming back to Turkey to tell people about Jesus. And his mom said, I would rather you had never been born than to do that. She was so embarrassed. She's Muslim. She said, you must be sick. You need to go have an MRI. He's become a fool for Christ. And he's no longer chasing popularity or the praise of men or those laughs in the workplace at an inappropriate joke. He is pursuing, he has all the praise. He has an overabundance of honor from Christ. And so he, that, that's what called him back to Turkey. Finally, I think of um, the fact that, you know, we are not so ill-equipped that we should still be in the same sins six months later you know, sins that God shows us, exposes to us, and six months later we're still wallowing in those sins. We're not so ill-equipped that that should be the way it is. I'm just reminded, you know, when the Old Testament announced that the new covenant time was going to come, I mean, that was good news. God said, one day I will give you a heart of flesh for your heart of stone. One day you will get the Holy Spirit. And we live in those days, the new covenant days. And when I think of that, I think of two older people uh, that have come to faith in Turkey. Um, you know, a little bit more rare, maybe around the world, for older people to come to faith because of just those habits and those ruts. But I think of Shirzat and I think of Zeynep and how in their old age, you know what, they've come to Christ and now they are learning a vocabulary for the first time in their lives so that they can identify sins. And, and, and they're saying, you know what, I'm a new creation in Christ. I want to change. I want to have this process where I bloom. And, and they're, they're talking, even in our worship time, of ways they're changing. And so they're not stuck in their old habits. So what an amazing truth that we are found in Christ. We are in this temple called Christ, and we have immediate access to God. And just like the tel- when you read of Solomon's dedication of the temple, it had absolute 100% relevance For all of the nations, obviously in the same way, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has become the meeting place of God with man, has absolute relevance uh, for all the nations. For all the nations. And we're so thankful for this church that prays for the nations, for this church that has sent some of its sons and daughters to reach the nations. And some of you might miss your grandchildren growing up because of this truth. And it's the nations and the fact that the nations need this truth. And I want to just encourage you to continue to have a, a disciplined part of your to- life where you care about the nations and you're sacrificing the nations. And as long as the Lord gives grace, we'll keep doing that in Turkey ourselves. As you saw in the, in, in the slides, uh, there are whole cities of a quarter million people that there's not one person on the ground sharing the gospel. These are cities two or three hours away and nobody there. And the Lord has helped us to to figure out how the internet is one of the most effective um, fishing nets 
for reaching those kinds of people. So as God gives grace, we'll keep going there. And just thank you so much for this partnership uh, that we have in Christ. Um, We're blessed by our friendship with you all. Thank you very much. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.